Gene Baxter here for Podcast Radio. What can I say about the Folk on Foot podcast that hasn't already been better said by Charlotte Runcie from The Telegraph? Well, nothing. So here's what Charlotte said. There's something about sound that can make your own little world feel so much wider. One of the best things about radio. And for a while now, I've been enjoying the sense of openness, memory, and heritage in the Folk on Foot podcast made by Matthew Bannister, the Radio 4 broadcaster and former BBC executive and controller of Radio 1, striking out on his own. He meets folk musicians and explores the landscapes that meant a lot to them, and the musicians play acoustic songs on location. Continuing, all while birds cry, water laps, and tree branches rustle. The music is transcendent, the sense of place is transporting, and if you need escape from politics, from illness, from anything, it's a restorative breathing space in sound. Beautifully said, Charlotte, and so true. And Mr. Bannister has some great plans for Folk on Foot in 2021. He joins us now on Podcast Radio. If somebody had come up to 17-year-old Matthew Bannister and said, what kind of show would you like to do? Folk on Foot is probably the show you would have wanted to do at that time, right? That's right. This is my absolute dream job. And it sort of has been since I was a teenager. What, what happened when I was a teenager was that I was in a folk band um, and I played the fiddle. And I got into folk music because I was really bored with learning the classical violin when I was about 15. And I was thinking these scales and arpeggios and all that stuff, they really don't make any sense. And then I heard an album by a band called Fairport Convention called Legion Leaf with a fiddle player called Dave Swarbrick playing the electric violin. And they'd taken these folk songs and turned them into rock songs. It was the first folk rock album. And I was completely transported by it. And I thought, oh, that's what a violin's for. So I formed a folk band of my own and I lived in, a, in Sheffield um, where um, there were lots of folk clubs and we used to tour around the folk clubs playing cover versions of Fairport Convention songs and then learning more about traditional English and Scottish and Irish music um, and, and picking up and covering some of those. So folk music's been in my blood since I was a teenager and so has walking. Um, which is the other aspect of folk on foot, because I lived in this in this city, Sheffield, which is right next to the Peak District, which is absolutely beautiful countryside. And my parents used to take me out there sometimes under sufferance. Um, but I somehow walking got under my skin, whether it was in the city or in the countryside. And finally, my whole career has been about telling stories in sound. And that's what Folk on Foot does. It, it tells stories in beautiful sound. Well, you've given me a lot to unpack there, Matthew. And let me start by going back to the Fairport Convention. There are a few albums that come along that aren't big sellers. The artists don't become big stars, but it seems like everyone who heard that record is impacted so deeply. Velvet Underground is one that is often mentioned. It only sold 10,000 copies, but everyone who bought it went out and started a band. And I think Fairport Convention is kind of responsible for that mid-century explosion of the popularity of folk music here in the islands. Would you agree? Yeah, Billy Connolly said that uh, Richard Thompson, the guitarist in Fairport Convention, made folk music sexy. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think he did. And actually, Richard Thompson's the subject of one of our latest episodes. So the childhood me got to walk with his hero, Richard Thompson, in North London and take him back to his old school. And we went to the house that gave Fairport Convention its name, where there's still a plaque outside that says Fairport. Um, and it was a house where they used to rehearse. And Richard sings Meet on the Ledge, a classic Fairport song, in the front garden for us in our episode. So that was like a, a dream come true. And if I'd 
only started folk on foot for one reason it would have been to have that walk i think but yes that fairport convention also there's a kind of family tree of fairport convention the people left the band and it kind of reformed in different shapes and sizes so you could not only like fairport convention you could like all the other bands it gave birth to the bands that sandy denny formed after she left the, mm. richard thompson as a solo artist Ashley Hutchings went off and did things. You know, it's kind of spawned all sorts of folk um, activity, which was just a joy to follow. Well, Richard Thompson is such a legend. You're right. That episode alone was worth doing the whole show. I mean, I still remember when Shoot Out the Lights came out. I probably listened to that album a thousand times that year. I mean, he's so brilliant. And he's still making music and still performing and still doing great today? Still writing songs. I think he said he'd written about 26 songs during lockdown because he had nothing else to do. And so <laughs> he's got kind of about three albums worth um, knocking about. And in fact, he plays one of them in our, in our episode, uh, a song that he wrote during lockdown. So, and, and he plays his classic song, Beeswing to me, standing in the sunshine in Highgate Woods. And again, you know, to be in an audience of one for a concert like that is, is absolutely priceless. And that's what Folk on Foot does. Yes, and I think by now, podcast radio listeners are familiar with the show. We've aired it a lot, and people know that you go on a, a walk in a significant area of land that, that means something to your guest, and they perform for you. And people have asked you this before, I know, but as an audience of one, you feel very special, blessed even, but is it a little bit awkward that there's nothing but eye contact between you and the person who's singing at you? <laughs> well, often, actually, it's not awkward at all. No, I, what's joyful about it is that also we're often standing in some amazing spots. So I'm a great fan of a, a guitarist and a singer and songwriter called John Smith, and we did an episode with him in Brixham in Devon, which is where he grew up and which inspired quite a lot of his music. And we were standing on a cliff top on a beautiful sunny day with the ocean just spreading out behind him in blue. And he sang this song of his called Save My Life, which is one of my favorite songs. And you know, when I didn't want to catch his eye, I just looked over his shoulder and looked at the amazing view. And that was fantastic. <laughs> you have uh, been nominated for and won a number of podcasting awards. And uh, your producer, uh, I'm sorry, what's her name? Is she Natalie? Natalie Steve. I don't know how she does it, but your show is so brilliant to listen to. There are going to be people who are interested in this question. Can you describe the kit a little bit? How are you able to get such great sound when you're A, outside and dealing with the elements, and B, you've got a moving target? Well, you'd think that you know, we'd be traveling with huge amounts of mic stands and leads and all the rest of it. But in fact, um, Natalie often records you know, on very simple kit, uh, portable recorder, um, a microphone. She has a great big wind guard uh, because wind is our enemy, sure. I have to tell you. Um, and so she has a, you know, one of those blimps that covers the microphone to keep the, the wind off. And sometimes we do have to move our location from the spectacular visual shot to get the oral sounds. I remember we were with a, a vocal group called the Youngins in Hartlepool, and there's a medieval gate there where the fisher folk used to land their catch coming through this gate from the beach and into the town. And they said, oh, we've got a song about that. And I said, oh, it'd be great if you stood in the gate and sang the song. But of course, when they stood there, it was a howling gale blowing through. So we took a photograph of them there and then retired behind some wheelie bins around the corner to record <laughs> the actual song. So occasionally we, we move slightly to get out of the wind or, but we have recorded in the rain, um, you know, as long as it's an acapella 
song you're all right the the artists tend to be a bit uh, dodgy about their instruments getting wet right so you do have to find a, a bus shelter or a you know a local pub or a cottage um remember we walked with bella hardy in edale in the tipping rain it was a great walk you know we really enjoyed it really bracing uh, but we took refuge in her mum's cozy cottage halfway around the walk and there was this uh, fire in the grate and cups of tea and biscuits while Bella sang and, and played for us so that's that's the way we dealt with that one ah oh, it's beautiful and I also like that uh, occasionally often in fact dogs will come along you've had babies come along on the journey I mean it is just such a casual environment and I as somebody Matthew who's interviewed thousands of people in your career you must appreciate how comfortable that must make people to be in their own environment that means so much to them well I think there are a number of reasons why people talk in a different way to us I mean the first one is that we're often in a place that means something special to them and they're really keen to tell us about it. The second one is that um, we, we spend a long time with them. Whereas, you know, we're doing an interview now, we might have 10, 15, 20 minutes together, you know, while we're doing the interview um, and then we'll finish. With, with a Folk on Foot episode, we might spend up to uh, half a day or even a day with the artist walking and talking and recording. And that means that you relax into it. You know, as, as the cliche goes, you forget about the microphone. And, you know, we, we just begin to have these conversations. And I also think that walking, as opposed to being in a studio face-to-face, -face, walking side by side, as you might know if you've done any walking, is a great time to have intimate conversations because you're, you're not making eye contact with the other person, uh, but you have nothing else to do uh, apart from share thoughts and, and insights and so on. So you get a different rhythm when you're talking in a walk and a sense of revelation. So I think all of those things taken together mean that people feel relaxed and they and they talk in a much more intimate and relaxed way. You've interviewed, we're talking to a Matthew Bannister right now, the Folk on Foot podcast. We'll talk about the new season and a big announcement that Matthew has for us here in a couple of minutes. But I wanted to ask, because you've interviewed so many wonderful folk musicians throughout the years, is there any commonality in the type of person who chooses that as a line of work? I think there is, yes. I mean, first of all, uh, they don't do it for the money. You know, there's no, you're not making, nobody's making a fortune, uh, unless perhaps you're thinking about Mumford and Sons, but nobody's making a fortune out of making folk music. They do it because they're passionate about it. And they do it because they are um, in some way imbued by the spirit of the tradition. So even if they're writing contemporary music now and writing about what's happening now in the world, they understand that they come from a tradition of working people's music, of their own culture that's been handed down from generation to generation. Some of them are reinterpreting it for the modern world. Some of them are, are writing fresh, but they understand about that tradition and, and care about it. And I have to say that there's a humility. I mean, obviously there are, you know, all performers have some sort of ego, but, you know, there's a kind of, humility and a desire for collective success. So people tend to appear on each other's albums, they tend to help each other out if they're in trouble. Um, there's a sort of community around the folk world which you don't get in all aspects of show business. So by and large, I haven't met a, a, a nasty person yet. Yeah, in rock and roll, you will run across a diva fairly often, yeah. probably not so much with the folk musicians. There, there are fewer of them. I think there might be a few, but but I certainly haven't really encountered them. And, you know, all of them are, you know, seem to me to be honest and committed and passionate about what they do. You mentioned fishermen a while ago, and I wanted to make a note to ask you, I'm certain that you are aware of the 
sudden unexpected success of sea shanties on social media uh, to the point where there's that chap in Scotland who's quit his job as a postman and now has a record deal with Polymore recording sea shanties. Will we hear some of those on Folk on Foot or have I already missed those episodes? Yeah, well, we did one with a group called the Fisherman's Friends uh, from uh, Port Isaac in Cornwall, who were the kind of first wave of sea shanties being cool. And they've even made a feature film about them. Um, so we've done one episode with them, but we're going to feature um, some sea shanties on an episode that goes out on Monday, February the 1st, it launches the official Folk Albums chart show, which we're now running on, on Folk on Foot. I'm pretty sure there are going to be some sea shanties in the chart. And uh, so we're planning to talk to a band called The Longest Johns, who are a group of young guys from Bristol in the West Country, who were already singing sea shanties when the postman went viral, but who've leapt <laughs> very carefully onto the bandwagon and sold lots of albums as a result of it. Isn't it just the darndest thing? And I wonder, and maybe there's no easy explanation for it. People just like something that's different, but maybe there's so much artificiality in so much of the pop music of today and so little rock music today that maybe people are just connecting with it because it's it's real. I think there is an authenticity about the kind of music that we feature on Folk on Folk. With the sea shanties, I think it's about a sense of community. And it's the kind of community we had when we staged these front room festivals to raise money for artists who were suffering during the pandemic. Uh, we, we did three of them during 2020, and they were seven hours each streamed on YouTube and Facebook with uh, folk artists performing in their front rooms and me linking it from mine and everybody watching in theirs. But there was this extraordinary outpouring of community on social media around the festivals that people loved the idea that they were connecting back through these artists. And um, I think the same is true of these sea shanties, because what, it, what it's about is the postman in Scotland puts his sea shanty up, but then on TikTok, everybody else joins in and sings along. And so they are communal activities at a time when we're isolated. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's working so well. I think you're right. And I'm glad you mentioned those front room festivals because those videos are wonderful and those quote unquote best of episodes that you produce. I think you were in April and May and August of last year, if I remember, and you raised a tremendous amount of money for the music community. We raised a quarter of a million pounds and half of that went to the amazing charity Help Musicians, which had an emergency fund for the many, many musicians whose livelihoods were suddenly swept away when all the theatres and the venues and the, the pubs and the clubs closed. Um, and so half of that quarter of a million went to them and the other half went to the scores and scores of artists who took part in the festivals, who were all many in the same boat, that they'd lost their tours, they'd lost their gigs, um, and they didn't know how they were going to survive financially. So. It was a, a really amazing response from everybody who made a donation from, from all over the world. Indeed, congratulations on putting that together. I can't imagine how much work that was. Did you ever call it the Folk on Zoom Festival? Did that name ever come up? No, we, we called it the Front Room Festival because people were literally in their front rooms. You know, the artists are in their front rooms. I was in mine and the, the viewers were all in their front rooms. And actually they got into the festival spirit in their front rooms. They sent us photos of themselves pitching tents, putting bunting up, you know, obviously drinking beers, sitting in folding chairs, you know, wearing their shorts, you know, they all wearing their wellies in their front rooms so that they could get into the festival spirit. 
Ah, there's such a wonderful community with the the listeners of your podcast. That's great. Matthew, you mentioned February 1st. That is a big day for you for a couple of reasons. Tell us about uh, some of the plans you have for 2021 for the podcast. Well, we are announcing a new Frontering Festival, and this one is going to be the Festival of Love on Valentine's Day. And we have 28 amazing folk performers taking part and each of them is going to perform um, an original love song a traditional love song and a cover version of somebody else's love song and then we're going to put it together into a huge stream on our youtube channel and our facebook page on valentine's day from 2 p.m and it'll last for over six hours and what i want to do is to create a sense of an outpouring of love and again this community coming together a kind of virtual holding of hands a virtual hug at a time when we're all so deprived of, of uh love and uh and I think it's, a, it's something that music can do. And I, I really just reflected on the last grim year myself and thought the two things that have really sustained me are love, you know, love from my partner, from my family, from my friends, from my community and music, you know, the kind of music that transports you and takes you out of yourself. And if we could just bring those two forces together on Valentine's Day and have a kind of global outpouring of love on the Folk on Foot YouTube channel and Facebook page, wouldn't that be amazing? That's uh, so beautifully said. And what a great idea. The website is folkonfoot.com if you want more information about that. I know it's a passion project for you, Matthew, but did you ever think that it would be so much work? You really have expanded this thing so much that I imagine it's taken up most of your days. It does take up an enormous amount of time. And, you know, there's a very, very tight and small team of part-timers really working on Folk on Foot. So the achievements of putting together these festivals in particular are extraordinary. Just myself and my colleague Owen Ralph putting together this seven-hour stream um, obviously with the help of the artists and the, the self-filming and recording that, that they did. And then at the same time as we're doing that, we're running the social media and we're running the fundraising and you know trying to persuade people to give money and, and so on. So yes, it has been a, lo a lot of work, but you know, it doesn't seem like work when you're doing something that you really, really enjoy. Well, listen, we're out of time for this. I just want to put one quick PS on this because I don't know when I'll have the opportunity to speak with you again because I'm a huge fan of your obituary show that I listen to frequently on BBC Sounds. And I, I don't think enough people know about that. Can you talk about that for just a moment since we have a bunch of uh, people out there who are always looking for new podcasts to listen to? Yes, of course. It's called Last Word and it's uh, on the BBC Sounds app. And every week we tell the stories of four or five people who have died recently. And uh, they might be famous people or they might just be people who've made an enormous contribution to their community. Uh, so uh, in the past, obviously, we've done people like uh, David Bowie. Um, we've done you know, leading politicians and uh, leading authors and so on. But we also do people who you might never have heard of who's made uh, you know, a fantastic contribution. Th this week, for example, we're doing an organist um, who created four organs in amazing places in uh, London. And she was the principal organist at the City of London Church and played the organ for ceremonial events for the, the Lord Mayor. And we're doing a woman who ran the Science Museum um, in, in London, but she expanded it to include the Railway Museum in York and the Film and, te and Television Museum in Bradford. And so she had a big impact on the way we uh, look at science and the way science is spread 
in the collections are spread around the country. So, you know, we're also doing Larry King, you know, uh, this week as well, the uh, the veteran CNN broadcaster. So, and what you get is these little portraits, you know, these little features um, about their lives. And we often speak to their loved ones or their colleagues. And then we try to uh, play you the person themselves too. It's, a, it's a, another thing I really enjoy doing. No, it's a wonderful show. And I, and I often think I'm so glad it's on the BBC because you have all of those people at one point have been interviewed by the BBC or there's been people on talking about them. So you've got a wonderful amount of tape that you can go back to and pull in addition to the new content. And it really is just so outstanding. You know, when I first started thinking about doing my own podcast years ago, one of the things I was interested in was obituaries. And I could, I could not find an obituary podcast on online. I don't know if there are any today, but there don't need to be because your show is doing it and doing it perfectly, Matthew. Well, thank you very much indeed. And I, I mean, it does seem like an obvious thing for the BBC to do, given this depth of its archive, you know, the, and the archive is often the the thing that makes the the little item come to life, you know, because you hear the actual person speaking or you hear about the events that surrounded their life you know, in real time. Um, so the BBC's archive is an invaluable tool for us. And it, it's a programme that we've been doing since 2006 um, on the BBC and so there are loads and loads of back editions that you can go back through uh, on BBC Sounds and, and you know hear the obituaries that we've done over that time. Matthew Bannister is a very busy man you should check him out on the BBC Sounds and also folkonfoot.com you have a new season season five starting when when does the first episode of the new season begin for Folk on Foot? Well we're, we're actually we've, we've started um, so Richard Thompson was the first uh, of that um, and we've got an episode out at the moment with the Rheingans sisters, two amazing uh, sisters who both play fiddle, banjo and lots of other instruments. And they take us to their dad's musical instrument workshop in the back garden of his house in a little village called Grindleford in the Peak District. And he makes all their instruments there. And it's just the most wonderful sort of cave in a in a in a shed uh, with with instruments of you know about twenty violins hanging up on the roof and banjos and all sorts of things in there and they sing and play there for us. So we're we're in the midst of that of that season right now with that lovely episode. Congratulations on getting your dream job after all these years, Matthew. I really enjoyed talking to you and we appreciate the time here on Podcast Radio. It's great to be on Podcast Radio. I'm so glad Folk on Foot is with you. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the paper nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.